0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, it is great to be in here. Um, We're going to bump up the lights a little bit, and um, we will be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians. And so if you've been with us for a while, you know that in um, the MAC where we've been meeting, it. Feels like it's like 58 degrees, whether that's summer or winter. And so then to me, I know in here it feels like it's about 88 degrees. So, um, I may be sweating, but I do have room that I've always wanted. Have you seen those preachers that can just just they they do the pacing back and forth? Um, I could run, I could lose weight up here and everything. Have you seen those guys and they just they walk the whole time? They do the the back and it's kind of a tick like in my one of my preaching classes. They talked about guys who literally did it's a horrible thing. They don't realize they're doing it. They do this for you know thirty five minutes, and so uh, I may start doing that. So wonderful to be in here in um, the auditorium, great facility, and so. Um, All of those things, uh, the the niceness of Metro, the the availability of some of the resources that we have, um, all of that um, doesn't change a church plant, though, that we've got to be about the glory of God, that we've got to be about exalting and enjoying the supremacy of Christ, that the cross, that um, getting that message of the gospel out to the people in the community, to the people where we live and work and play, that that would be the same gospel that's renewing us the same things that we just sang about. And so I um, hope that um, this um, time in 2 Corinthians is helping with that. Hope that tying in um, the, the message of Advent, the hope that we have in Advent, the beautiful picture of God coming and God God's arrival has been encouraged as we go through um, 2 Corinthians. And so today we're gonna still be finishing up chapter five, a very rich, rich area. And um, the last couple of weeks, um, we've been looking at this idea of Emmanuel. Um, that Christmas is this time of us pausing. Even in the busyness of our lives, um, even in the busyness of, of semesters, if you've got kids, or if your work speeds up during the end of the year, um, we can pause and we can contemplate more deeply, we can think more deeply about the beauty of God sending his son, um, God with us. And we, we've, we've kind of seen it over those last few weeks, that's our end goal, right? We, we tend to think that salvation, getting saved, or even if you're, you're fancy and you use that word justified, us being justified, um, that that's the end goal. Salvation is only a means, a tunnel that gets you to the end goal of God himself. Salvation, heaven is just the place of God's abode. He's the reward, not heaven. Um, he's the end goal, not even salvation. Salvation is what takes you from being under his wrath to now in his presence at his table. And so just remember that if that changes the dynamic of your thinking, of when you're thinking about living your Christian life, thinking of living in his presence, thinking of being with God. And so um, we're going to see that. And so even the, even the word atonement, if you go to the different uh, breakdowns of that in the, in the early meanings, at one Meant. So atonement, being at one, being brought back at one with God. So that's what his God, when God did atonement, I'm going to give humans this idea of sacrificial atonement. That's what it is. At one, back with me. At one with me. And so some beautiful stuff there. So the first week uh, we looked at this um, during Advent, we took that big 50,000 foot view, um, stepping back and looking at what's the purpose of Advent. We want to be in awe of what God decided to do in Advent. So that first 50,000-foot um, view was just looking at recreation, God's renewal of all things. And we saw that in 517. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things um, are... are the, the, new has, the old has passed away. And so the beauty of that renewal of all things. And then secondly, we looked at um, Reconciliation. Um, still wanting to zoom in a little bit and still be in awe, uh, it should shock us. It should be breathtaking when we look at what God had to do to reconcile us. And we'll still be seeing more of that today. But reconciliation, we saw that in verses 18 and 19. All this is from God because he had went through chapter 3 and 4 and 5, building to this to say, all of that work, Old Covenant, is not what's applied to you anymore it's the new covenant and it's the new covenant in christ 's blood that 's what i'm doing that that your old body your your old physical body is going to be falling apart as we're wasting away outwardly we're going to be renewed inwardly and so we see that happening um and then you're going to have a new resurrected body because of christ's resurrection and then you're going to be in the face of God face to face with him for all of eternity and so all of this that i've done it's from God, nothing that you could do to gain any of it, who through Christ reconciled us, not to heaven, not to grandma and grandpa, not to former loved ones, but to himself. He reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us that um, ministry of reconciliation. And so then um, this week, we're going to be looking at justification. And so looking at uh, chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, at the very heart of the Christian message is this idea of justification by faith alone. So, justification is the centerpiece of so much of the Christian life. So, don't be intimidated by that word. If you go, man, you. I don't like those fancy terms, justification, sanctification. Listen, your kids, like in second grade, can probably spell it and define it. So, let's not act like that we can't be mature enough to kind of grow. And you don't have to throw the words around. Now, you shouldn't be talking about just just justification all the time, using that term. But just to know what justification and sanctification and glorification are, that's just a maturity thing. And so um, think through Martin Luther. You guys know the 95 Theses, the the Roman Catholic Church and all that had been going on. And so it was not salvation by faith alone, um, by grace alone, through faith alone. It was a whole bunch. It was Christ, but then also all those works. There was a lot of indulgences and a lot of so it had become a works-based thing. So in the 1500s, Martin Luther, the uh, the Reformation, um, what happened there is you had Protestantism that broke apart from that, right? And so remember the five solas? So, and I think I've got those on the, the screen, maybe the five solas. Uh, sola Scriptura, so according to Scripture alone, sola fide, through faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, solus Christus, in Christ alone, and sola de gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now again, those are terms like, those Those should mean something to you, they should be rich, you should look back and go, that's why we have separated from the, the Roman Catholic Church, right? So those five solas should mean anything. Just spend some time, you can look them up, go into the depth, just take one of them for a week, and go and study the different people that have wrote about just one of those. And then the next week, move on to the next one, just see if it fills, your soul with enjoyment of the Lord. So um, this section in 2 Corinthians 5 has one of the clearest verses pointing us to what actually takes place in justification. Again, justification by faith alone, a huge part of the Reformation. So there was this desire for people to have scriptures in their own language. So remember Gutenberg Gutenberg press 1544, um, that Gutenberg press first time that now everyone can have scriptures in their own language. Remember that? That was the desire, was to get it in their own vernacular. And so now, Hey, who has the scriptures at this point? The Roman Catholic priests, the cardinals. And they're teaching a little bit of the Bible, but they're also mixing in some things. Like, if you want to be saved, let's pass those plates one more time. Hey, um, your grandma and grandpa, pretty rough characters. If you will give some more money in the plate, you can pray them out of purgatory. And so, and then you know, Martin Luther and guys are looking around going, that's not anywhere in the scriptures. Like, we can't pray people out of purgatory. We don't even see purgatory in the Bible. And and, and it's not this case of you being in purgatory for a while and, and taking care of sins that Jesus' cross didn't take care of. Like, that's nuts. So Martin Luther's going, it's not that. It can't be that at all. And so we, we need just the Scriptures alone. That the point is to grace alone, that through faith alone in Christ alone leads to the glory of God alone. So that was a big part of that, and that's all the centerpiece of justification. So Christianity is not merely a list of commands where, where the best rule keepers get in, right? And it's not merely an ethic of just just love and peace and harmony, because other religions provide that also. But what we have that distinguishes Christianity from other ones is Actually, not just a religion, it's the one true God. Think about that. The one true God who came and, and came to us and pursued us. So Advent, we should be in awe. Talk to Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims about uh, Allah or one of the Hindu gods, 330 million Hindu gods coming to you to die for you. No, that, that's nuts. That's crazy. And here the one true God has done just that. So Advent is us celebrating that. And so um, we, we see the beauty that of God's desire for us. And this should produce awe. It shouldn't just produce a one-time prayer and then the rest of your life, you just living for your own pursuits, your own desires. And that's what we've seen in America. That That's been the deal. Let, let's get people to bow their head, pray this prayer, repeat this after me, repeat this after me, and then we don't really care what you do afterwards. And so we want to be a people consistently, repetitively in awe of what God has done. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, and I'm going to do 17 through, probably go through the end of uh, 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 2. But um, And they kind of connect. We're not going to cover a lot of 6, 1, and 2, but it does bring up, don't take for granted the grace of God that he's laid out there, and there is this salvation that's present. So in verse 17 of chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. Again, this is, he's not just talking about just, just that. That's a quick synopsis in verse 17. But all that God has been doing, that God, Paul's been writing in chapter 3 and 4 and 5, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So Father, we come responding to your word, reading this outline of what you've done Seeing the beauty that for our sake, you, the Father, made the Son become sin in our place, substituting himself so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We thank you for that truth. Would you give us more beautiful affections through that for you? Would you allow us to think through this whole process of what we've been reconciled and renewed Not only to you, but for in this world, because you you put us in this time and place so that we would be ambassadors of Christ, taking the gospel forward. Would you allow us to understand that and appreciate that? Would you allow us to grow more in our sanctification because of our depth of understanding of justification? We await his second coming. We would say with John, come Lord Jesus soon. And would you bring salvation, God, to those who may be here this morning or may be listening to this online in the future? Would you, through your word, through the Spirit, renew and bring recreated souls? Would you do that work of salvation so that you would be worshipped more and more for all eternity? In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, looking at this first aspect here, um, this speaks of the doctrine of justification. And I want you to see the beauty of that justification. But justification, if you just spend a little bit of time, it should bring up the idea of a courtroom. Just immediately you should think courtroom. And we know that God is a holy judge, right? And so justification, I've got a slide that shows some of these things here. So justification, just a definition, it's an instantaneous legal act of God in which, number one, he thinks of our sin as forgiven. It's a big one and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and number two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. So let me read that again. So think through that. An instantaneous legal act of God, so this judge with his gavel, and and as he slams the gavel down, he's declaring, one, your sins are forgiven. Secondly, Christ's righteousness is applied, imputed towards you. So, um, we can see how five twenty one brings up both of those aspects clearly so john three sixteen is you know the the the, the verse that most people have grown up knowing first. I think even uh, five twenty one of second Corinthians is even a more um, complete picture because it also brings up the sin and it brings up Jesus being the specific sacrifice for sins and also the idea of god's righteousness being applied to us and so a beautiful verse that's very um, uh, rich in its meaning. And so it's considered a legal act of God because this is us breaking God's moral, spiritual law. So some people have asked, well, why justification? Why does it have to do with the courtroom? Well, it's because we have broken his moral law, his moral standard. So remember, hamartia is sin. That's the word for sin. It means you've missed the mark of keeping all of God's righteous, holy law. And so courtroom setting, Um, it's considered um, us breaking that in the place where God being this holy judge. And so at that courtroom, standing before that judge, you are ungodly and sinful. So if I was to walk up to this and have to stand before God and had to stand here, all of a sudden, the reality of this God would be just overwhelming. And and, and there's no like argumentation at that point. So people who would, an atheist who would say there's not a God, I'm just, a, I believe in science and, 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 and the cosmos and, and it's just a matter of time and all this will fade away and, and all of these things are, are just made up in people's minds and people need a crutch. At that moment, there will be no Arrogance. It's not going to be like a, a weak courtroom, like the guy's just sitting behind you know this uh, this desk and he's just like you know slamming the gate. Like it's going to be an overwhelming scene that we can't imagine. And so um, as we think about that, it's not going to be um, a, a time of just just chatting with the with, with this this judge. Um, the courtroom brings up a seriousness, right? Um, there, when when uh, I was coaching one of my boys in basketball, one of the guys who was my assistant coach, our joke was he was my assistant coach, but his, his daytime job was he's a judge. And so what had happened was um, we were coaching together and he was a, an attorney at a big law firm here in Tulsa. And so at one point he comes to me, he's like, hey, thank you, man. Uh, we had lunch and he's like, I need to just ask you, would, would you really pray for our family and pray for me? We're going through some huge um, potential transitions. And so, you know, when someone, you and they say that, it kind of scare you. like, oh man, is something happening with the family or something happened with him or her or whatever? And so he said, man, just be praying for my family and be praying for me specifically, for wisdom on what to do in some major issues. And he, and so anyway, I'm like, yeah, man. So it was really serious. And um, then um, what I didn't know was that um, um, he was being watched and every single move, including every text, every everything. They went back to, he was like 16 years old, the CIA, the, um, the CIA, and then the Secret Service and uh, FBI. They were doing research because he was being appointed potentially as a federal judge. So they were doing all this research. Um, they don't like that when those guys get appointed as federal judge. And then all this stuff comes out like, well, here's what happened to him in his 20s and 30s and 40s. So, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans don't like that when they do that, and they don't do their background checks. And so um, it's funny because we're at a high school game, a real cold game, like in maybe November at, out at Bigsby. And um, I saw him. He's walking down, and we'd already started a basketball season. And so I'm always texting him funny stuff, funny to me. And so uh, there's a kid, you know, and high school students at those times, you know, they they're, they – wouldn't wear shirts, and so it, it's funny, because where we were sitting, all you see is this kid walking right in front of him, and he's kind of, like, the kid's kind of moving around a lot, he's got no shirt on, so it's freezing, you know, 30 degrees out, and here's John walking behind him, so it just looks funny, John and his wife, and then there's a guy, and from, because of the seats, it looks like the kid's, like, naked, and I was like, so I texted, and I didn't know CIA, FBI is like, intercepting all this, I'm like, hey, hey, who's who's the naked kid in front of you at the game, or something, so I'm like, ah, ha, that's funny, he never responds back, and he always responds back, so then it was three months later, we he told me, he's like, yeah, all those texts and stuff, they, the FBI is looking at all that. And so I was like, am I going to jail? And so all of a sudden, like seriousness hit him. Like, and he's like, no, they were, you know, seeing about me being set up for the um, federal judge. And so he's a federal judge. And so there's this idea of seriousness, even in just the process of becoming a judge. God's holiness, we can't imagine what that would be like. Um, and so here's this picture of ungodly, sinful people standing up before this holy judge, And him saying and declaring, you are forgiven of your sins. You are not guilty. And you're standing there going, you're not going to be forgetful. You're going to be standing there going, I have an unfathomable amount of sins. He's going, you are not guilty. And your mind may race to secret dark places that you've been through or done, things you've done. And he's going to say, not guilty. You're free to go. You're declared instead righteous instead of guilty. And so that's the picture of this um, courtroom. Um, the three stages of salvation that a lot of people just don't really think through is, first of all, just justification. It's a one-time act. Sanctification is after you've been saved, it's the ongoing process. And then glorification is once that will be uh, fully consummated with the Lord. And so justification, it's a one-time work of God. Now, what I mean by that, there's two aspects of that. First of all, there's the one-time work of God, meaning when Christ died on the cross. So the work of Christ, we've talked about the person of Christ, and the work of Christ. The work that he did was that atoning sacrifice, right? So that work of God, that, that cross work was done on one day, right? So we know that that, that that passion scene that leads up to that, that is the work, that the one-time act. Jesus didn't raise from the grave and then have to die over and over and over and over again, like Hebrews says. No, it was one-time sacrifice. So justification, your justification is based on completely that work that Jesus did then. So it's a one-time act. It's also a one-time event when you receive that. When you received understanding, regeneration, you received understanding of that, and your eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit. And so we know that there's nothing good in us, nothing that would have chosen God, nothing that would have been good enough to earn our way to God. So the Holy Spirit comes and breathes that new life. We saw that in Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, where he opens your eyes to see, dead soul. Now God has made you alive. Now you have faith. You respond in faith going, I need that repentance that you speak of. I need that forgiveness of sins that is offered. So that's the process. And so then after you're justified, then sanctification is the maturity process as you're growing. And so um, glorification would be that, that future work. And so, as we're looking at this today, I want us to. We're going to look at the the last thing we're going to see. It's actually first when it says, For our sake, He made him to be sin. So, we're going to look at that for our sake last. But the the first thing we're going to look at is actually the second part. What does it mean when it says, He made him to be sin? What does it mean that the Father made Jesus the Son to be sin who knew no sin? So, um,. What does it mean that the Father would, would do this work with Jesus and then apply it to us? And why is that so significant? Um, it cannot mean that Jesus was guilty of sin. It does not mean that the Father made Jesus go and sin. It made that The Father made Jesus go and commit acts of sin. It cannot mean that because we know the Bible is replete with scriptures that tell us that Jesus was completely spotless, a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb of sacrifice, a holy, perfect life. He never one time sinned against the Father's holy will. So that means he was righteous, right? And that's that righteousness that we're going to have applied to us. We're going to be living that out for all eternity. It also does not mean that the Father... Um, made Jesus guilty, uh, sorry, it it cannot mean that Jesus was actually guilty of sin or guilty of sinning. Um, It says he made him to be sin. It doesn't mean that he made Jesus go and sin. So people have had some confusion on that. Just that should be simple. I don't think there's anybody here that would do that, but there are people that have thought, oh, that means that he made Jesus go and sin. And that's not the case, just to clear that up. Uh, It means Jesus took our sins on himself, although innocent, still holy, still completely righteous. It means Jesus took on our guilt and shame as if committing the sins, but still remaining holy and unblemished. It means Jesus took the penalty of being guilty, even though he was innocent. Um, so we see this in First um, Peter one eighteen and nineteen, and then First Peter three. And in First 1 Peter 1, 18 and nineteen, it says, "Knowing that you were ransomed, as we just sang." from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So we have this idea of propitiation all through the Old Testament. Again, don't be intimidated by the words. Just, just learn a little bit. Not that you should be using propitiation. Don't be throwing that out the office. You know, you're at the office in the, in the fridge and like, yeah, yeah, you kind of spilled some stuff over there. You need some propitiation. Just, uh, that probably wouldn't be the best step for sharing the gospel. Maybe, maybe that's your, your office place. But propitiation is this acceptable Sacrifice. Propitiation means that something was done that appeased, that pleased the wrath of God. So it appeased the wrath of God. I think I've got a definition up there. Propitiation deals with the appeasement of God's wrath coming on sin. Um, It is the Old Testament concept to cover. And also this word expiation or expiatory. Uh, This deals with our liability. So you're guilty before the judge, right? You're liable to have to pay for that debt. And, And this says that you're expiated that you do not have to pay the penalty. You're no longer liable for the sins because Jesus stepped up and took your place. He became that expiatory um, sacrifice. You're no longer guilty. You're declared righteous instead. So in that, justification has two aspects. It's both the forgiveness of sins, but also the righteousness that's imputed to you. And that's why 521 brings up both of those things. In justification, God the Father looks and sees Adam and Eve's sins, imputed to you so remember that remember the early story adam and eve's story and their sins are imputed to you original sin we talked about the original sin we talked about total depravity total corruption total inability all those things right we talked about that last week um, and in that um, look at romans 3 twenty three. all sinned all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god so we have inherited original sin it's been imputed onto us in justification god the father looks and sees our sin imputed onto jesus so our sin is taken off of us and imputed onto christ so when jesus is in the garden he's praying and remember like it's not that jesus was just scared of dying physically when he when he's sweating the blood drops that was literally the weight of sin the guilt of sin the shame of sin all those incremental acts of sin on a holy perfect Holy being. That's what was going on, the transference of that, being imputed onto him. And in justification, that's what God's doing. Sankey, move out of the box. Someone else has to step up in the box. And Jesus steps up and takes those sins. It's imputed onto him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And then thirdly, in justification, God the Father looks and sees Jesus' righteousness imputed to us again in 21, that we might become the righteousness of God. So we looked at those things last week. So think back all the way to um, the very beginning. What's beautiful about this picture of 521? 521 is actually just a reminder of what happened in the garden. So in God's perfect creation with Adam and Eve, immediately after the slap in the face, immediately after, after being gloriously face to face with God in a state that none of the rest of us had had been, because Adam and Eve had the opportunity, they were not born into original sin. There's a different state. There's actually a Greek term for it. Um, there's a whole you know, there's books on this about how they had the freedom to choose between sin or not. Where we are inwardly depraved and our hearts are already sinful, we sin because our hearts are sinful. They were not that. They started out without sinful hearts. They had the opportunity, right? So. Um, Look in Genesis 3, 5 through 7. For God knows that that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. So this is Satan deceiving them. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Man, don't we like to be like God? You will be like God. Just sin. So that's what you do on Monday and Sunday afternoon and Tuesday. I'll be God here. And i tell you what, I want their living room quiet so I can watch football. So you boys, stop it and get out of here and... We go off in anger. You may treat people horribly. You may be selfishly immature. You may attack people with your words and gossip and slander. You may just sit and lust over stuff or lust over people. And every one of those forms is, God, you shut up and sit down. I'm going to be God for 10 minutes or an hour. I'll let you know when I need you again. But I will be God right now. You're out of the picture. And so we think of that as, that's horrific. I'm not doing that. No, that's what we're doing. We just don't like it to look at it that way. Satan threw that bait out there for them and they took it. Your eyes will be open. You'll, You'll be like God. Oh, autonomy. I know what's best for me. So when the woman saw that the tree was good and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired we know those feelings, don't we? looks good to the eyes. Man, it's desirous to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who sat there passively and who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, so notice from this point on, something has changed. Adam and Eve now feel guilt. Something changed. They knew something was different. So what you have going on there, they feel guilt and shame for the first time. They feel the need to cover their sin. See what sin does? You didn't need coverage of your sin before, right? And now, Adam, Eve, you you feel something that's miserable. You feel separation from me, and you feel that you've broken my law. They feel guilty because they are guilty. And notice what happens. They sowed. What do we do when we sin? We try to make coverage, don't we? Anyone just love being caught in sin? That you, you just like, you know, like, oh, man, hey, you know, hey, I just want to let you guys all know, here's what I did. Hey, kids, here, here here's what I did today. Let's sit down at 5 o'clock and have dinner. Here, I need to repent of this and this. What do we usually do? We, we, we get defensive. We blame other circumstances or blame situations. We do anything to get out of it. And so, um, Here they start working, sowing fig leaves together to cover their sin. And they were doing the work, not God. And then in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God calling to the man and said to him, Where are you? So, so notice this. It's, it's not that God has become a little bit forgetful. It's not that God can't see. He's not talking about um, I, I can't find you guys. You've hid yourselves well. Oh, let's play hide and seek. Let's let's start a new game. It's not God's losses omnipotence. It's implied for their understanding, for mankind's understanding. Where where are you in relation to me? Oh, separated. Oh, guilty. Oh, hiding, working to cover your sin. We needed someone to cover our sin. We needed someone to help us not hide and perform. We needed someone to come in and step up and keep the law So, because we never would be able to. So even at the very beginning, they had this known separation. And the Lord God made, so now here's God's work early on, Garden of Eden, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him to be sin for our sake. And the Lord God made for Adam and his for, for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God steps in. God made. How did he make garments of skin? Beautiful, beautiful. Garden of Eden that all of our little kids' rooms have and all the little church, there's a little picture of the animals and Adam and Eve and all the stuff. No one has the real picture of animals fleeing and fleeing away like a mad lion was in them because now this beautiful garden is splattered with blood and there's been a sacrifice in this beautiful, perfect, holy garden and now it's covered in blood. And now God has shown when sins occur, there must be something sacrificed, a life. Blood must be spilled for the sake of sins. First time, right in the garden, He made him to be sin for our sake. The Lord God made for Adam and Eve, his wife. So there's our, in our verse, 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, he did this. So so don't miss that there's an act of grace for our sake, the cost of the life of something, death of a living thing. And and when we see, uh, I don't know about you guys, but like when there's death of something, um, now, I know some of you guys are hunters. I know, like, you, you feed the little 40-pound deer, and you, you, you pet it in the yard, and you feed it, and you give it corn and, you know, cinnamon rolls and milk, and you feed you it, and you feed it, and you feed it. And then it comes October, and you climb up in the tree. It's fair because he's really attacking and mean and, and trying to kill your family. And then you get up there, and you're 12 feet away, and bam, killed him, got him. Kids, our pet we're not going to eat him, right? And so I'm joking. All you hunters don't go crazy and think like you jerk. I mean, that's kind of what we do, right? And so in that, death kind of halts us. And I'm not against hunting or guns or anything like that. But death, when you see, we have these windows in our kitchen. And sometimes a bird just flies right into it and like, bunk. And all the kids, when they were little, they'd be like, was that another bird? And we go and we all just stare at this dead bird. And you just kind of feel awkward. Sometimes they want to bear it. We had a cat one time that died. And, and like, I mean, it was a grieving process, when our cat died, we just had some friends who called this week and they're they texting us and it's like, well, here's what happened this week. We're in our van, we, all the family loads up in the, or in the big vehicle and we're backing out of the driveway and, and they're all like, what, what's that? And they got out to look, what, what, what was that? Everyone empties the vehicle, it was their little cat. It didn't die though. It just was going, because it's smushed. Legs are broken, but living what do you do with you know four or five kids that're just watching this so we don't know what to do with death like we 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 when animals die we kind of freak out when, when when things are hurt we kind of freak out we we can't handle it real good um all of mankind needing a propitiation we need a living thing to die due to the guilt of sin and so even with adam and eve the very first picture blood must cover over sins blood must cover over sins so from this is three. We connect Second Corinthians five twenty one for our sake. Just like for Adam and Eve, you can't do this. You can't work your way back to me. You're separated from me in your sins. You, you can't be good enough to start keeping the rules and start over. Something has to die here. For our sake, He made Him to be sin to take on those sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so even with Adam and Eve, that that first one, so if we get to heaven and Adam and Eve are in heaven, some people are like, well, you know, Cain, probably not, Abel maybe. And so Adam and Eve, are they going to be in heaven? There's there's books written on whether Adam and Eve will be in heaven. If they are, it wasn't that animal that God killed, right? That animal was not going to provide actual salvation. That was a picture of 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Jesus and his salvation on the cross. We don't know what to do with guilt. Um, our culture does not know how to handle guilt. Number one, we don't know what to do when we feel guilty. Again, do you, anyone, when you start feeling guilty, what do you usually do when you kind of start feeling guilty of something? Jamie and I used to joke because her family, their tendency was, and this may be your family also, so if like like a, an extreme example, like I go and slap you in the face, and you stand there like, uh, what, what happened? And, and because I feel guilty, what do I do? well, I'm sorry that you, you, know, you, you took that wrong. I'm sorry, you know, maybe not even sorry, well, you, you were in the way. And so uh, sometimes our, even our asking forgiveness isn't asking for forgiveness. We feel guilty, and sometimes we go on the attack to prove to you why I had to treat you this way, right? And so we're not really good at dealing with feelings of guilt. We, we just don't handle guilt very well at all. Um, also, we've been lied to by academia, by the pop culture, by even churches. Churches have even bought into the idea of don't make people feel guilty. Don't talk about all this junk we've been talking about for three or four weeks, good grief. Like people, that's gonna be weighty and heavy. They don't wanna hear how bad they've been. They, they wanna hear how good they are. They wanna be celebrated and like, hey, you go out there, you're, you're killing it. You're doing a great job. Go and do better this week. And I hope your business survives and does great and, and give more to us and, so, and make you feel like you're doing so much more. So we try to stay away from making people feel the guilty of sin. We, we want to pe- let people know that, man, you just be yourself. You're free to be yourself in Jesus' name. Even churches have bought into this lie. So that's not what the gospel was talking about. Um, listen to John Owen. We've got a couple slides. So John Owen's my hero. You know, we named one of our boys after John Owen. Um, he has a book called Mortification of Sin. Mortification, another big word, just means killing something. And he's saying, killing sin. How do we go about killing sin? All based off of Romans 8, 13. And so just one verse and a whole book on this. But he says, bring thy lust to the gospel. See if this fits in with, with your thinking or if pop psychology or what you've been hearing, even in churches sometimes. Bring thy lust to the gospel and not for relief. Like, whoa, hold on a second. I thought that this was good news. Well, if you understood the whole context and the whole book, he, he's getting there, but he's saying our problem is we don't contemplate the beauty of the gospel. We don't look to the gospel in Christ. We, we, we feel guilty feel awkward, and when we just try to either earn it, like, hey, I'll have, I'll have a longer quiet time, Monday and Tuesday, and that'll make up for what I did. That's Catholic penance. You're, you're making it up. You're, you're trying to sow leaves of uh, eggs on again. Like and God was saying, no, 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 I've, I've already covered that. And so bring thy lust to the gospel, and not for relief, but for further conviction of its guilt. Anyone do that? Is that, that uh, what we do? You want to sit? Think through, look on him who thou hast pierced, and be in bitterness. Say to thy soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Is this the return that I make to the Father for his love, to the Son for his blood, to the Holy Ghost for his grace? Do I thus requit the Lord? I always say that just all the time, those are the words I use. Have I defiled the heart that Christ died to wash, which the blessed Spirit has chosen to dwell in? And can I keep myself out of the dust? What can I say to the dear Lord Jesus? How should I hold up my head with any boldness toward him? Do I account communion with him of so little value that for this vile lust's sake, I have scarce left him any room in my heart? How how shall I escape if I neglect so great a salvation? In the meantime, what shall I say to the Lord? Love, mercy, grace, goodness, peace, joy, consolation. I've despised them all. And esteem them as nothing, as a thing of naught, that I might harbor a lust in my heart. Think about that. For that little decision you make, hey, shut up, sit down. I'll let you know when I'll be God. For, for this little lust in my heart, I've considered all those things nothing. Love, mercy, grace, goodness, peace, joy, consolation. Have I obtained a view of God's fatherly countenance that I might behold his face and then provoke him to his face? Was my soul washed so that room might be made for new defilements? Shall I endeavor to disappoint the end of the death of Christ? Shall I daily grieve the spirit whereby I am sealed till the day of redemption? Entertain thy conscience daily with this treaty. See if it can stand before the aggravation of its guilt. If this make it not sink in some measure and melt, I fear thy case is dangerous. Consider the infinite patience and forbearance of the Lord towards thee, in particular. How often hast thou been at the door of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and by the infinite rich grace of God hast been recovered to communion with him again. So that's he's talking about Romans one there, the stages of hardness. How many times have we got closer and we're, we're just'm just frustrated just just tired of the way I'm just sick I deserve I'm tired of this I'm tired and just hardness I'm, I'm going to do the what I want to do I want to do what I want to do people have been doing things wrong and we're hardened and hard how, how close have we been and we think that we just like well I'll, I'll just I'll just jump back over here and be okay with God that was just grace that was the spirit carrying you that was that was grace how close have you been being completely written off there. We don't think through that. Aren't you thankful and in awe of Advent of Jesus? In awe of God's grace in justifying you? We can lift up our head as a weary sinner. Jesus came to die in your place. Your sin placed on Christ, your guilt removed, not by you, not by your good works, not by therapy, but by the holy judge himself. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. And here is the, 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 the great news that comes after this. Um, what does it mean in him we might become the righteousness of God? I'm going to skip over those passages in Isaiah. You can go back and read Isaiah 53 when it talks about the beauty of what's going on there. What does it mean that in him we might become the righteousness of God? Um, notice, first of all, it's in him, in Christ Christ you become the righteousness of God. Um, in Romans 5, 18, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. So all of us, in original sin because of Adam's sin. By the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by this one man's obedience." completely living to God's righteous standard, completely living a holy life, and then obediently dying on the cross, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's that's in God's mind, him declaring you in his mind, you are righteous now. Now, that's hard for us because we know we have depraved hearts that still sin, right? And so that's why in our sanctification, we need to be looking to him. So I've told you, sometimes for me, what I have to do is go, hey, God, I'm really, really desiring this. And in desiring this, it's crossing the line over into really, really justifying it, thinking like, I do deserve that. I should be able to have that. I want that thing really, really bad. And I'm frustrated at you. I'm not content because you haven't given me this thing. And so in that, my heart is doing it. Confessing that to you, I need you to help me to repent. I, I need Christ's righteousness, Christ's contentment, and me to be thankful for my relationship with Him instead of not having that thing. So that's just a little process of sanctification that you can do—just confessing those and asking, "I need the righteousness of Christ. I need for my heart to be filled with what He has done for me, instead of worrying about this one thing that I'm wanting to do, or this thing that I want, or this thing I'm looking after, or desiring, or my, my thoughts about this person. I am not having the thoughts of Christ." Would you give me the thoughts of Christ? It's available up there. It's available to you. It's not you mustering up strength and doing it. It's by faith. He's got all that righteousness supplied for us up there. Don't do it on your own strength. Cry out to him. He doesn't get tired of us coming to him. He doesn't get weary by us coming and saying, I need you more. He manufactured it in a way where he wants us to need him more. So at the end of the day, you're amazed in him and not you in your ability. And so um, what's beautiful about this is that it turns from him being this judge that just has said, you get to go free. You're guilty and you're a sinner, but you get to be considered not guilty. Step aside, you get to go free. Christ steps up and takes on your guilt and the wrath of God on the cross. And now his white robe of righteousness, God says, you not only get his white robe of righteousness, but also the beauty of 521 is you move from the courtroom to his table. The judge says, "Oh, and by the way, you're with me now. You're not you, you were a rebel when you walked in here. Hell and, and an eternal fire was awaiting you. The wrath of God that would never go away because of what you've lived out and all that wiped away. And you get righteousness, you get forgiveness of sins, and now you get to go home with me. You get to come to my table. So adoption comes through justification. You're adopted into God's family. So again, I've been in courtroom settings where it's scary and you're kind of going, man, uh, this, this, this could be, go down really bad. I think most of us think that we get to chat with the guy. Like it's like, I think I've got a pretty good case. So one time we were uh, lived over in Arkansas, but we had come to Tulsa with some guys. And, and I went with some guys, and we're in a truck, and we're at we pull up some club, and we're at some place, and we're out in this huge parking lot. Well, we had to use the restroom, and the place is like 200 yards over. So we just decided to use the restroom out in this thing, and all of a sudden, here comes Barney Fife. These two cops, and they've got their guns drawn, and we're like, you know, out there just, you know, peeping out in this field by these trucks, and, and here come they. Freeze! Get your hands up! And we're like, oh, you know, like, what do we do here? And so anyway, he gives us all tickets for indecent uh, exposure. So that's fun. So we get to go to court for that. So our one of the guys, his, his brother's a cop. So we're coming to Tulsa, we dress up kind of nice because we're thinking, hey, we don't want him to like, you know, look up at us and think we're bums and like just send us to the pokey. So we kind of dress really nice and stuff. And so then we get in there, and so as we're, you get in there, and you think, again, like I'm going to be buddy chum with this judge and kind of maybe tell the story. It's nothing like that. So you step in, you're waiting, and they just call out your number and your name, and you, you like file up there. Well, they call out about 30 names, and we all just have to get in line. And it's guys in orange jumpsuits standing beside us, and so now you're thinking like, Oh, I'm definitely safe now. Cause I mean, I don't know what this guy did, you know, but I'm definitely not him. And so then, and then they call your name out and say, and so they're calling people's name and the judge doesn't look up, doesn't make icon. It doesn't look at what you're doing. Just a number. And then just like, slams this thing down. He's like giving these commands erzäh- and they, people are walking off. And so some are just going off saying, I was thinking like, Oh, no one's going to talk to my buddy judge. And so then he just does our name now. And then we like, and they ask, do you have an attorney present? And we're like, no. I, bam, slam his door, and, and this guy rushes us off. We get two steps out the door, and we're like, what's going on? He goes, well, first of all, you guys had um, indecent exposure. Well, there'd been stuff going on in a lot of the parks in the area where a lot of Guys and guys and girls and girls had been getting together, and so all those people were also getting indecent exposure tickets. So the, the, the little giggling that was going on when they said those things about you four guys staying there dressed really nice, that's what they were thinking, first of all. But second of all, you do you have an attorney, and we're like, no, we, we just thought, you know, this is not a big deal. Can we pay 50 bucks, 100 bucks? And they are like, oh, no, this is a process. You've got to go get this. So that turned into about five or $700 for each one of us just because of that. And so that is a powerless feeling before a judge. That is a scary feeling. Like that guy can determine your future quickly. And you don't get to chum it up and everything. On the other hand, a judge is also, some of you have seen this, on the one who decides adoption. For for this, this, this kid who has nothing who has no family to love them, who has nothing that the world would think of, a dad and a mom who would love them. This judge has the power to go, you are now a part of this family. They are loving you as a mom and a dad. Um, Brad and his wife, Jeanette, they had went through a process with um, Will. And everyone knows, a lot of us know the story of Will. He's a special needs kid, but just beaming with life. And so uh, Brad and Jeanette went through this process of Adopting Will, um, even though knowing that life is not going to be long for Will. And, and the life that he was going to live, constant, constant, minute by minute care. But we're going to take in because the, the, the beauty of adoption that God did for us makes us want to adopt this kid. And Will passed away within one year of them having him. And so a judge has the power that for one year, that kid understood something different. In that courtroom, something happens and so the same judge that gets to say you are not guilty you get the righteousness of Christ says and now at the end of the day come feast at my table come be with me and that's what he's saying when he says for our sake Jesus did all of that so you get to be adopted into God's family what a beautiful beautiful story that he's given us um as we go into the Lord's Supper time, think through have you been part of that story? Have you been justified? At the end, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, as we move into chapter 6, as he gets through those beautiful parts, for our sake, he made him to be sin. Then he says these words He says, In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So for some of you, you're still sitting, separated from God, awaiting the wrath of God. You've you've thought you knew what it means to follow Christ. You've thought that you knew what salvation was. Hopefully the last few weeks, this will be clarification on reconciliation, regeneration, renewal, the Holy Spirit coming and enabling you to do that. And he says in in chapter six, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation that you would turn to him, receive this gift of faith, receive this gift of regeneration and cry out to him for salvation. Some of you, as we get to the Lord's table, it's a time not to partake of, of the elements, but it's a time for the first time to partake of Christ first. And so as we practice the Lord's Supper here weekly, we want to guard the table through history as they've done. You guard the table, not just making it open to what anyone can come and no matter what. So if you're visiting here with us, uh, we have open communion, meaning that as opposed to closed communion. Closed communion, some churches have where you have to be a member, a longstanding member to partake of the Lord's Supper. We have open communion where if you're coming from uh, another church or you've just moved to the area or you, you don't have a church home yet, you can still participate in the Lord's Supper because it is a... A beautiful free gift, and we want to celebrate that. Uh, We want it to be a sobering thing, but we want to celebrate it. Paul says that we shouldn't be partaking of it if we're just in the middle of unrepentant sin and we're just living like we want to, and just who cares? And like taking this means nothing. You've trampled it under your foot, and there's a warning that comes with that. But if you're a person who's not just living in unrepentant sin and you're not running from another church and church discipline. Taking this is not based on whether you were perfect this week or not. It's not based on if you were um, the only one who kept the rules. It was based on what Christ has done. We celebrate because this is what Christ has done in justification. This is what Christ has done for us. And so um, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, um, think through, where is my heart at with Christ? Paul gets to this point in 2 Corinthians saying, today is the day of salvation. We continually look at the gospel. We don't ever graduate the gospel. So for me, every day I'm I'm trying to think through where is my heart at with Christ? Where is my heart at with this salvation? Am I growing in maturity? Am I growing in knowing Christ? Am I still treasuring Christ? Am I still treasuring what he has done? Or are things lying to me, telling me that they are worthy of living for? Consider those things as we partake of that. Um, Let me pray. And then you guys can move down. We've got tables over on the left side and the right side that you can partake of. And then Brad will lead us in one last song after we partake. Father, we are thankful for this beautiful story that you've laid out. Thank you that you are a holy, righteous judge because we've all had wrongs and sins done against us and something screams inside of, of us that there's justice, that there should be something new and something right correcting all the wrongs and sins. But God, at the same time, we know that we are part of that sin problem, that we have sinned not only against others horizontally and hurt and defiled others, but Father, we have sinned against you most clearly. So we're amazed that this plan of redemption, that you for our sake would send Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, holy, perfect, innocent Jesus, and that you would make him become our sin, to take on our sin, We're amazed that you would apply and impute his righteousness on our account. And Father, we're amazed not only are you a holy judge, but that you are a loving heavenly father that invites us to your table, that invites us home with you. We pray that you'd allow us to partake of the blood and the body broken, that we would celebrate and enjoy Christ more, that we'd be sobered by it, but that we would await his second coming that would point our minds and hearts to his second advent and we would cry out with john come soon lord jesus come soon in your name we pray amen